Good morning, church. I'm going to use my words and, and say how much I love you today and happy Valentine's Day to all of you. What a blessing it is to be able to share God's word with you today. So today is a special day, as you, as you know. It's Valentine's Day. Um, but for me in particular, this day means something much more. It's actually the anniversary of the first day that I had, or the first official date I had with Oren. So 25 years ago today, I know, it's amazing. I've been with this man for 25 years. Can you believe it? God is good, let me tell you. <laughs> but 25 years ago, I had the first official date. I, I do air quotes because we had gone out once um, before as friends. Um, that's how I thought it was. He had something different in mind. But, um, and then we had talked on the phone a couple of times, but... This particular date that he asked me on was our first official date as a couple. And on that day, back in April 4th, or February 14th, 1991, he asked me to uh, go to a, an art show that he was having. Uh, one of his pieces was being displayed at the local um, MLG&W, which is our, um, what is it, our, our PG&E, yeah, um, it's our PG&E. Um, but we went there, and I was so excited, got a chance to meet his mom and dad. They were there. Um, so that's a big deal. First date, and you're already meeting the parents? Oh, my goodness. You know, but it was a wonderful time. And I had, for, for whatever reason, I was excited about this, this date and spending this time with him. So I had planned something special for that evening. And little did I know that he had planned something special as well. At the end of the event, the art exhibit, he took me to the Peabody Hotel in Memphis. And the Peabody Hotel is a historical hotel in Memphis where the ducks are known for coming down the elevator and walking through the lobby and getting into the, the pond there and splashing. So it's a big deal. But, um, so he took me to this hotel. At the top of the hotel, there is a ballroom. And so he took me to the ballroom. Now, it's late. The party and the festivities, they've all ended. We hadn't planned to really go there or to attend the festivities. But he used this ballroom as the backdrop um, for this special night. And so he, um, like I said, had something special planned. And I had something special up my sleeve. Um, he, you know, gets out the... He was driving a truck at the time, but he gets out the truck, and he's got this camera bag on his arm. And I'm like, well, what is this? And he's walking kind of funny like this. So we get to um, the ballroom, and we sit down, um, and he, inside the camera bag, are glasses of champagne or glasses of wine. And, so, and then he has some apple cider, um, and he pours it out. And so we can have this nice romantic evening with all the beautiful backdrop. The song, there's music playing in the background, and it's just the two of us, and we're having our first slow dance. I mean, it was so special. And I had planned something special for him. I had a card for him that I picked out, but inside the card, I had these letters cut out. And the letters actually spelled, I love you. On our very first official date, I'm being bold enough to tell this 
guy to pour out my soul to him, and I don't know what, what it was, but I felt the need to tell him, I love you. When was the first time someone said, I love you? Can you recall, can you recall the date, the time? Um, perhaps it was um, your, your, your very first boyfriend. Perhaps it wasn't even about romance and it was about friendship and someone just said, you know what, I love you. Saying I love you to someone that you know can be easy at times and it can be challenging, but for the most part, once you get to know a person, you feel comfortable saying I love you. But what about saying I love you to a total stranger? When was the last time you said I love you or showed love or were neighborly to a total stranger. Today, I want to talk to you about the four principles of being a better neighbor. The four principles of being a better neighbor. So let's look at Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Luke 10, 25 through 37. When you found it, say, I love you. And it reads, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Then, I mean, when he fell into the hands of robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw, the man, and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. For the next day, or the next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the, in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. See, as mature Christians, we have developed some 
bad habits when it comes to loving our neighbor. When it comes to extending um, a, a godly hand to our neighbor. So I want to give us these four principles of how to be a better neighbor. And so as we look at this passage of scripture, we see that the expert of the law in the King James Version, it says that he, they called him a lawyer and he knows the Mosaic law. He is highly esteemed by his friends. He is one who, who knows exactly what the law of Moses said. And the, the scripture says that he tests Jesus um, and they had this dialogue, and the man, this expert, asked Jesus questions, and in return, Jesus asked him questions. So they're having this rich dialogue, and let's look at the very first question that the man asked Jesus. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, you are a, an expert in the law, but yet you don't realize that your very first question is flawed. You see, there, there is a flaw in his question because when you say, what must I do to inherit eternal life, the assumption or it implies that you must do something to have eternal life. But we know that it is not what we do that gives us into the kingdom of heaven, that we must only believe in Jesus Christ. It is only he who can give us eternal life. For in John, it says that, um, that for, in John 3.16 says that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. You see, this is, you know, supposedly he's so smart, but yet he doesn't even realize that the very question that he's asking, there is error in the question. And then Jesus used the Socratic method, which is to answer a question with a question. So Jesus doesn't right off the bat answer his question. Jesus simply says, all right, Mr. Expert, you, you know the law. So what, what is written in the law? And then the man says, uh, and, he, and he asks him, well, and how do you read it? The man replies, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And then he, the, the second question that he asked um, Jesus was, okay, who is my neighbor? So here's two questions right off the bat. You're like, really? You don't know who your neighbor is? Really? So the first principle that I want to give you is stop asking questions you already know the answer to. Stop asking questions you already know the answer to. Really? You don't know who your neighbor is? I mean, don't we do that sometimes? We tend to ask questions when we already know what the answer is. We ask, God, should I be giving in this particular ministry? You're like, really? You've got to ask that question? Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with asking questions. Absolutely. That's why we have third Sunday, uh, question and answer on third Sunday, because whatever is burning on our hearts and maybe we've been having a debate with somebody at work and we're not quite sure you can bring those questions to the pastor and he can answer those. And that's great. But don't ask, you know, can you imagine how it would be if you wrote in a question to pastor, pastor, I've been dating the same guy for three years. But I just want to know, should I marry him? Because he won't come to church. Like, really? You're going to ask that question? I mean, there are some questions that we, we shouldn't even be bothered asking. Um, you know, Lord, 
Um, should I, fourth Sunday is missions or um, evangelism Sunday, should I really go to that? I know I've got all these other things to do, but should I go, really? Are you going to ask that question? We as Christians allow ourselves to ask the questions that we, we already know. Some of us are mature enough and we've learned some fundamental things since the beginning of our faith. Some of you, how many of you all have been to vacation Bible school? Am I right? Okay, a few of you. In Vacation Bible School, you learn some fundamental truths about um, being a Christian and what it is. You, you learn who your neighbor is a long time ago. Even in preschool, if you didn't go to Vacation Bible School, you learned it in preschool, who your neighbor was and how to treat your neighbor. Because when Jill didn't have the blue crayon to color her picture and to color the sky blue, Jack would look in his box and if he had a blue crayon, he would just share it with her. That, you learned that in preschool. That's like, you know, being neighborly 101, but it is amazing how as Christians, somehow along the line, we have forgotten what it is to be able to be a good neighbor, and yet we want to ask these questions, should I go here, should I do this, should I, should I participate? Stop asking those, those questions. <coughs> Even the disciples asked a question of Jesus and you're like really um you remember when Jesus and the disciples were in the boat and the storm began and uh the disciples they Jesus was downstairs in the boat in the bottom of the boat he was asleep and the disciples woke him up and said Jesus do you not care really what do you mean do I not care? I'm on the boat with you. Of course I care. I care whether or not you drown, because if you drown, then I'm going to drown. Of course I care. But yet they allow their fears to overwhelm them. See, even as Christians, before we evangelize, Lord, you know I can't evangelize. You know, Lord, don't you know how scared I am, how insecure I am? Really? <laughs> Jesus knows that. He knows your heart. He knows what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. He made you. But the word says that greater is he that is in us than he who is in the world. (coughs) I'm getting so excited. (laughs) So when it comes to evangelism and even being a good neighbor, we've got to stop asking those questions that we already know the answer to. Some of you may be sitting here saying, is she preaching to me? I mean, is this sermon for me? If you've got to ask that question, come on. Really? Stop asking the questions you know the answer to. So let's look further at this text. (coughs) Obviously, some of you all were were asking that question, right? Like, what is she talking about? Okay. But as you look further at the text, we see that... um, this man, the second question says, um, do, or the, the question was, um, Lord, who is my neighbor? And you have to ask yourself, why is he asking this question? Well, the text tells us that he's trying to justify himself. He's trying to justify and make himself right because he knows that according to this Mosaic law, I actually haven't been living it out. I, you know, if the truth be told, but I can't let my boys know because I am an expert of the law. And so I'm just going to play dumb and act like I don't know who my neighbor is. And I'm going to continue to try to put Jesus on the spot. And I'm going to say, oh, but who is my neighbor? Really? That leads me to my second point. 
Stop trying to justify why you haven't shown love to your neighbor. Stop trying to justify why you haven't shown love to your neighbor. You see, there is in, um, in, in Luke, there's this theme of self-justification, and that's exactly what this expert of the law was doing. But in order to talk about self-justification, let me talk about ju- justification. The doctrine of justification is that God justifies the ungodly. He declares them to be just. See, based on what Jesus did on the cross for us, by taking our sins to the cross, we now stand justified, no longer guilty in the sight of God. And so that's justification. But the opposite of justification is self-justification. Now, if justification is where God justifies us uh, so that based on the work of his son that we stand justified, then self-justification is when we justify ourselves based on what we have done. See, it's no longer what God has done, but it's based on what we have done. And Dr. Carson, one of the pastor's favorite ministers or um, teachers, he talks about that there's this theme that runs through Luke about self-justification. And let me just give you an example. If you'll turn over to uh, Luke chapter 18, and verse, starting with verse 9. <coughs> it says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And verse 14 says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, the the Pharisee um, was working hard to justify himself, self-justification. The key word in self-justification is all about I. And when you look at that passage, I think I counted one, two, three, maybe four four times that the Pharisee used the word I in that that right in that section. But if you see how, um, what, how the description is of the tax collector, there is no I in it at all. See, the tax collector is one who wasn't worried about self-justification. He just said, Lord, have mercy on me. But yet, we try to justify our actions. The, um, when pastor started the fourth Sunday evangelism, I found myself justifying why I hadn't participated in a couple of them. And see, I, I was like, well, you know, Lord, well, this particular Sunday, I, I brought somebody to church, so it's okay that I don't go out with the, with the group because, you know, I did my evangelism, I brought somebody to church, and that should be enough, so that, that's fine, Lord, right? Justifying why I'm not participating. 
Mm. Oh, Lord, you know, I can never remember. I think one time I forgot that it was um, Evangelism Sunday, and I was like, you know, it's those, those kids, those darn kids. I tell you, they make me forget things. I, I, a, few, a few days ago, Caleb asked me the question, Mom, what are the pros and cons to having kids? <laughs> I didn't have the heart to tell him that one of the pros was that you can blame it on the kids. <laughs> And that's what we tend to do. We blame our children. We blame our job. We blame our exhaustion, our physical um, body. I, I can't give. I can't do. I, we blame our circumstances. We will find any kind of way to justify why we are not being neighborly, why we are not going out and preaching to the lost and sharing the word of God. We justify, justify. It's all about me, Lord. I, 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 what I cannot do. God even told me in that moment, hell that's your problem you're too worried about what you need to do for them but spend more time and worry about what you need to do for him Amen. that's what jesus wants us to do don't justify all based on all the things that you need to do but know that god is calling you to serve he's calling you to be an example he's calling you to reach the lost Amen. and stop looking for excuses and ways to get out of serving for the kingdom so let's continue to look at back at the text. And so Jesus is like, you know what? Okay, you're going to ask this dumb question about who is your neighbor. Let me just whip out one of my parables for you. See if I can't break it down for you a little bit. Since you are so intelligent, let me just make it plain. And he gives him this parable about a man who is coming from Jerusalem to Jericho. And most likely this is a Jew who's traveling um, by the way and and these robbers, they attack him. And Jesus points out that there are two people, the first two people who stopped and saw, or who at least saw the hurt man were people of the faith. The first one was a priest, and the second one was a Levite. Now, the priest saw him. Surely you would think that the priest would stop and aid this man. I mean, he probably just came from the temple. He probably just preached a great dynamite sermon on how to heal and how to be there for the lost. And, but you know what? He was off the clock. Did my duty. I'm done. The Levite. Here, a Levite is a helper of the priest, and, and they have responsibility even in the church. They're responsible for being there for the pastor. Um, it, it, and our leaders, if we are not doing and, um, and getting out there, we are no better than this Levite here. That leads me to my third point. You see, the priest and the Levite, the way they responded is that they walked on the other side of the street. So principle number three is stop walking away from your neighbor and walk towards him. Amen. Stop walking away from the neighbor and walk towards him. Too many times do we see, you know how you go to the grocery store and you see somebody that you don't want to see and you're like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe I, I don't have time to talk to that person. Lord, I know I should witness to them, but mm -mm, I, I do not have time. So you're in the freezer section, sticking your head, looking for the ice cream that you know you really don't plan to buy, but you're hoping that they will pass you by so that they don't see you, right? Some of us use caller ID way too much. You look, oh, oh, I do not have time. Mm -mm. You know, I'm just going to say a silent prayer and, um, you know, I'll get back to them. That's what we do. 
we walk away from our neighbor than walk towards them. Now, you know, my spirit was convicted. And I said, Lord, I've got to participate in fourth Sunday evangelism. I, I don't want to be a priest and a Levite. So I, I said, all right, Lord, the fourth Sunday in December, pastor, he said, all right, we're going to go out and evangelize. And I was all excited. Yes, this is my first one. And he said, here's some baskets or uh, bags, and I want you to find a homeless person. A homeless person. I thought, well, Lord, that's not what I wanted to do. That, that's not in my plan. I, I didn't plan to go find homeless people and, and give and witness to them. That was not. Mikhail, stop walking away from your neighbor and walk towards them. See, in our minds, sometimes we look at people out who are holding those signs and we don't view them as our neighbor. We view them as some homeless person, some person who's holding a sign. And it is amazing how long you'll look at them and you'll read the sign before you even read anything that's on their face. Walk towards them and not away from them. You see, when I did this, and oh, and by the way, I was justifying. I was like, oh, we got the kids with us, Oren. We can't go. You know, the kids don't, we don't want to take them with us on this trip, this evangelism trip, to, for them to walk up and, and be with us as we're greeting the homeless people. No, no, no. Justification. Jesus said, really? This is an opportunity for you to be an example to your children. And because of our obedience, God allowed us to have a wonderful, rich experience and to meet people um, that we would have never met before. On that day, we met April, we met Gavin, and we met Ronnie. Was so excited. And, and Caleb, he was right out there with us. And I was like, praise God. Kendall, at first, she was a little scared. I said, it's okay, babe, you, you can sit in the car. But by the third person, she's like, mommy, you know what? I want to go. Don't you love it? When people see you walking towards your neighbor and being kind, they're like, you know what? I want to go. But we, people need to see us doing it and stop talking about it and actually go do it. But that was a valuable lesson for me. So I learned that I don't want to be like the priest that walks across on the other side, that sees somebody and goes the other direction. As a, a follower of Christ, I've got to be willing to walk towards my neighbor and be there for them. Um, even as I began to have this this sort of feeling in my spirit about the homeless i said lord you are doing something with me you are you are working with me and so uh this week this past week he said michael i want you to continue on in ministering to the homeless i'm like really oh, oh, oh okay, okay lord why me he's like I, I need you to get beyond where you were see that first time was great but I, I need you to go beyond where you are. I need you to do more. And that leads me to my, my fourth point. Stop having compassion without compassion. I mean, stop having compassion without passion. See, the problem is, is that when we do something one time, that's compassion. But when you do it over and over again, you build up this passion for it, this desire and this, this need to care for those who are lost. When you look back at the text, 
we see that the Samaritan was not just a Samaritan. He went beyond what the, the basics was. We know that in the text it says that not only did he see the man and he stayed on the same side as the man, but he went to the man and he touched the man. He gave him wine and he bandaged his wounds. And, and you know what? He even put him on his donkey. And let me just pause for a second and say, I even was trying to justify, Lord, now I'm going to minister to the homeless. They don't have a car. They can't get to my church. But then this pastor said that if the Samaritan put him on his donkey, Mikhail, you've got a car, hallelujah, and you can use your car to help get the homeless people to church for anybody. It, can even, it doesn't even have to be a homeless person, Mikhail. Anybody who doesn't have a car, who doesn't know their way, you can use what you have to reach your neighbor. And so I said, okay, Lord, I, I, I can do that. And then when you look at the other things that the Samaritan did, not only did he put this man, this hurt man on his donkey, but he said, you know what? I'm going to put you up in housing. I'm going to put you in a hotel. And what I love about the man is that he used two silver coins. And that in, that, in those times, it was about two days of pay. So he's using what he has um, and taking away from him and being willing to give it to somebody else. When you have passion and compassion, when you have both of those together, it will compel you to look beyond your needs and meet somebody else's needs. And in the text it says that the Samaritan told the innkeeper, when I come back, if there's some extra, if there's an outstanding balance, I'll cover the extra too. When you have that kind of passion for somebody, you will go beyond what you think you can do. You will do the extra. You will go the extra mile. I know that you gave and that you helped on that particular Sunday, but if the next Sunday pastor comes and says, you know what, we've got to make a co an extra collection for somebody in the body who's hurting, guess what? Your passion will compel you. The passion that you have will compel you to move beyond what you did last week and continue on and give extra. You've got to have passion and compassion. Yes. See, what God was teaching me in my experience this week is that, Mikhail, it's not always about what you have in mind and what you have planned. So I, I have to share with you that on, I think it was Tuesday, God says, I want you to spend more time and minister to the homeless. So I was like, all right, Lord, but, but when can I? I? I don't have time. And, you know, I, I've got to do this and I've got to do that. Starting to justify, right? But then God said, um, how about doing your lunch break? You, you get an hour for lunch. You no longer drive to the city. You don't have to worry about the commute, Mikhail. You've got a full hour and you're right here in Petaluma. You're working right here. This is your neighborhood. Use the time that you have to minister to the lost. So I was like, all right, God, you got me. Okay, that's cool. All right. So I'm in my lunch, I'm in my car, and I'm driving around looking for somebody that I can minister to. I've got my track, and I happen to have a Starbucks gift card. And I said, all right, Lord, all right, who, 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 who do you want me to minister to? Teach, lead me to somebody. And I started looking for April, Gavin, and, and Ronnie because I had had a relationship. I'd already met those folks because so they, they felt safe. 
See, that's what we do. Sometimes we won't get out of our comfort zone. We'll, neighbor, we'll be neighborly to people that we already know and that we have a relationship. God, I'm comfortable with, you know, sharing the gospel with my best friend because I know her. She knows my faults. Da, 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 da. You know what? Sometimes God says, stop looking for the obvious. Get out of your comfort zone and minister to people that you have nothing in common. Or so you think. But if you just look at them with the understanding that God created you, he created me, that's all the commonality that we need. I'm in a, um, I have the key to, to getting you out of a burning building. That's all the combination and, and um, connection that we need. So you've got to be willing to go in spite of what you think um, in your heart or in your mind you need to do. So I'm driving around and, you know, I've got about an hour and, 45 minutes have gone by, and I haven't felt the Spirit leading me to, to minister to anybody. And I'm like, okay, Lord. And then all of a sudden, probably about after 50 minutes, I'm driving down East Washington. I'm going one way, and I see this woman in her, with her buggy or her basket that she's pushing, and she's going the other way. And I said, oh, nope, nope, she's not going in my direction. See, I only have about 10 more minutes. And, mm-mm, mm-mm. You know, she's on the wrong side of the road, and I'm, on, I'm going on because I've got 10 minutes to get myself something to eat, and I've got to get back to the office. Oh, well. And, and the Holy Spirit said, really? You're driving. She's walking. And you don't have time to turn around and go to her side of the street to witness to her? I said, all right, Lord, I got it. I turned around right there. I'm like, oh, Lord, there's traffic. Everybody's seeing me. Again, justification, getting all caught up in ourselves. But I pulled over, stopped, and I met Barbara that day. I met Barbara and was able to just to share a kind word. It wasn't my best presentation of the gospel. I'm just here to tell you it wasn't perfect. I was nervous. But that's okay. When you are obedient and you have that passion in you, the same passion that God has for us, it is okay. He'll work with all the, the, the mechanics of presenting the gospel. All you got to do is just be willing. Amen. And then the next few days went by, and I said, all right, Lord, I'm, I've done it. Woo, I have passion for you. Yay. I have passion. Yay. I'm done. <laughs> God says, no, you're not. <laughs> I was like, huh? <laughs> okay. Wow. And so Thursday... I said, all right, Lord, again, I'm on my lunch break. Take me to somebody. Take me to. And uh, now I'm looking for a person on the street I'm, because based on my past experience, I'm looking for God to do exactly what he did two days ago. But he says, be open. You have no idea how I'm going to use you to bless somebody. So then I gave up. I said, all right, I didn't find anybody, Lord. Maybe this is not the day. So I go to the dollar store because I needed to prepare for Valentine's Day to get some things for the kids, and now I'm standing in line. <laughs> Here comes a man right behind me, and he's got his boom box, and he's fumbling through his money, and he's buying batteries for his boom box. And I said, all right, Lord, I get it. This is the man that I am supposed to minister to today. And so I did. I had a chance to buy his batteries, share with him the track, talk about music, talk about Christ. Again, wasn't my best presentation of the gospel, but I did what God called me to do. I did. And in doing that, 
God is saying, I need you to have passion for the lost. See, one time would have been just compassion, but doing something over and over again will develop passion in your life. Thank God that God didn't give up on us the one time. Hallelujah. He had passion for us to send his son to die on the cross for us. Lord knows how many times we messed up, but God said, I've got passion for you and I'm going to show you my compassion. I'm not going to give up on you. We don't need to give up on our neighbor. I'll close with this As we look back at the text, it says in verse 36, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of the robber? You see, Jesus didn't answer the man's question, who is my neighbor? Jesus says, which of these was the neighbor? It's not about who is my neighbor. The question is, are you the neighbor? Are you being the neighbor? Are you showing your love to the lost? And then the expert in 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 the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him to go and do likewise. If you think back to the list of the principles that I just gave you, They all began with the word stop. Stop. But when you look at the very last sentence that Jesus gave in this passage, it starts with go. The opposite of stop is go. Stop doing the things, those bad habits that we have as mature Christians and start going and doing likewise by showing our mercy to those who are in need. Um, This morning, Oren gave me, um, he came to me and um, he reminded me of the song that was playing in the background 25 years ago. He he came to me this morning in the kitchen and he's playing with the boom box in his hand or this little, you know, thing, I don't know, what is it called? What is it called? A Bluetooth. A Bluetooth in his hand. And he's playing the song by David Sanborn. Yes. And the title of the song is Love Will Come Someday. Love Will Come Someday. Imagine if we took time today on Valentine's Day to share with someone the love of Jesus. It would be a testimony or a witness to them that love will come someday, and that day could be today. That Jesus loved them. He sent his son to die on the cross just for them. Be encouraged today. Don't justify. Don't go the other direction. Stop asking those questions that you already know the answer to. And have passion with compassion. Let us pray.